Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Brian Weaver, founder of Torch AI. And if you want to learn how to build better relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Brian Weaver. Brian serves as CEO of Torch.ai and has more than 20 years of experience leading mission-driven, high-growth, technology-focused companies. Brian has been featured in Forbes magazine for concepts around data encapsulation using blockchain technologies, and he also has raced numerous Ironman competitions at an, at an elite amateur level in the U.S. and Europe, ranking as high as number one in the world for the class. Guys, it's going to be such an interesting conversation with Brian. I can't wait to get into it. But first, really quickly, if you're a six or seven-figure entrepreneur, solopreneur, real estate investor, coach, or consultant, and you know how important a podcast could be for your branding and for your business, but you just don't have the time or the team or the resources to, de to dedicate to figure out all the back-end stuff and the tagging and the media hosts and just distribution and all that good stuff, then have me and my team build it for you. Head over to travischapel.com slash podcast. There's a quick application there, and then we'll hop on a phone call to see if we'd be a good fit to build out a show for you or for your business. So looking forward to chatting soon about that. Brian, thanks so much for joining me on the show today, my man. Yeah, Travis, uh, great to be here. Thank you. Yes, sir, of course. So let's go ahead and uh, start by building a little bit of context here and uh, head back in time. Talk to me about 12, 13-year-old Brian Weaver. What were you up to at that point? Any you know, likes, dislikes, family life, school, all that good stuff? 
Yeah, that's a great, great place to start. I actually had a great childhood. I, I was an army brat. My father was uh, an army intelligence officer and had a pretty interesting career. And uh, he moved us around every three or four years or so. And so I lived in a lot of places, uh, really all the way up until I graduated college. But, you know, when I was 12 and 13, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, was having a lot of fun. And, and actually, that was sort of my first uh, experience as an entrepreneur. I did all kinds of interesting things there. Started my first lawn mowing uh, business with one of my buddies named Jeremy. And uh, we made a ton of money and we provided a pretty good service and, and marketed and, and all that. So that was my, my, my real uh, foray, first foray into being an entrepreneur and, and uh, having assets and, and yeah, figuring right. out how to, how to make money. Yeah. Well, talk to me about the top one or two lessons you took away from being, from doing those types of things at such a young age. <laughs> you know, it's funny as, as I think about this, uh, it's actually hilarious. Collections uh, is one of the first lessons I remember. And nobody, none of my old neighbors are going to hear this, so I'm safe to say it. <laughs> I, we had this, this deadbeat lady. And what was crazy was she was incredibly attractive, a single mom. And, <laughs> and she would wait like six, eight weeks for us to mow the lawn. And then she'd pay us like 20 bucks. And, uh, and so finally, it was one of those things where not only would she not keep up with a maintenance schedule, and it would take us like four hours to mow this postage-sized stamp yard yeah. because she would wait till it was overgrown and it just took so much labor. But then she wouldn't even pay. And so it, we would have to go and, and chase her around and collect money and all this other stuff. And, and it was this lesson. It's like, you know, not all customers are created equal. Yeah. Um, where conversely, we had this couple... Uh, that had no kids that lived in a, in the neighborhood adjacent and they would have us over there and and they really believed in maintenance in fact anytime you know we were teenage kids and so you know we though we operated with great care um at times would damage property right I and mean, that's just kind of a normal course of business there uh little hose reels and they were you know they were kind of ocd like i am now yeah. about their their garden and everything but they would have us over they treated us incredibly well um, and we spent the weekend with those guys helping them, uh, you know, get their yard going and, and we were labor for them and, and we mowed and, and helped them, you know, with all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And it was a very profitable relationship and it meant, it, it showed you maybe the dichotomy between, you know, high volume, low price mm. and low volume, bespoke kind of service. Um, and it's funny, I mean, I, I was a teenage kid, but I still reflect on those times because. I bought like a really cool uh, racing bicycle, which was the first time I bought a, you know, a meaningful uh, a actual race bike. Uh, mm-hmm. At that time, I bought a, a very expensive camera and a bunch of lenses and all that. And I bought all that with the profits that I made from from basically that couple. Yeah. Uh, and huh. and it, it was one of these lessons. I think about that. I mean, I bet you I think about it every month uh, without w- without fail. Yeah. Just little things that you experience and how enjoyable the relationship I had with those customers was. And even when we made mistakes, we made it right. And, and he, you know, the, the husband at, at times would get upset, but in the end they understood and, and we understood, it, you know, it's, it's uh, there was a good value exchange there and, and it, it taught us lessons uh, on customer service. And when you make a mistake, how, how that's an opportunity actually to show, you know, your differentiator, um, yeah. which is pretty rare and little things like that, 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 that uh, at a really early age, I was very fortunate to, to learn. Yeah, yeah, I definitely hear that. We have that in common, actually. That was my first business was landscaping, putting in lawns, mowing lawns, uh, fixing sprinklers and timers and solenoids and valves and all that good stuff. When I was, when I was sixteen, actually, we a friend of mine and I started something very similar. So I yeah. can definitely relate on a lot of levels to to those really rudimentary 
lessons that you learn and you just kind of take for granted at, at that time and you don't realize what kind of you know valuable experience that is until you start, most people don't you know, have it you, yeah. i mean you, right, you right, and i exactly. take it for granted and then i think of all these people you know i'm an employer right and i I've, for, for the last 21 years i've employed lots of people mm -hmm. and and you know they don't have that same experience right and it's you know it, it, the thing another lesson i suppose you learn later in life is that you know, you just assume when you're younger that everybody has a similar experience or similar point of view. It takes you a while to kind of really understand human nature and, and personalities and, and what makes somebody tick to realize, ah, you know what? They don't think like me. They don't see the world like I do. Right. And they've got, you know, completely different experiences. So, so yeah, what a fun question. Yeah, that, totally. They'll so have true. you smiling the rest of the day, Travis. I like that. <laughs> well, good, good. Glad to hear that. So let's, uh, let's keep, keep the story going on here. So what do you do after that experience? Is, is this like a, did you go to, and you end up going to college, right? And get a degree in, in communications, minor in philosophy. Talk to me about your college experience what do you view that as a mostly useful time mostly unuseful time or kind of neutral yeah you know I think for me my college experience you know I, I had a you know basically fundamentally a liberal arts uh, educational experience at a, at a small university in Missouri mm -hmm. uh, which I found immensely valuable uh, on a number of levels but I think probably the most important one uh, was that it was a, as a smaller medium-sized university although I I, I, I would I would suspect that it would be very similar in a large university, but for different reasons. I learned a lot about people there and I saw different personalities and I saw how the, the tribal nature of human beings and, and some of that kind of phenomenon. And so I found that that, that experience, I, I played sports in college. I was a member of a fraternity and I was active, especially uh, in the philosophy side of my academic career, very active in the groups there. Uh, and in student government. So I, I was, you know, I had a job and, and worked with folks in the, the student union and worked for the provost. And so there, there was a whole uh, kind of swath of experience that I got to have there. But the center point being, you know, understanding my relative location within sort of this organization um, or this organism um, and, and, and really valuing different people for their views and, and uh, their upbringing. I, for example, being in a, in a small school in Missouri, even though I was from, you know, haha, the big city in, at that time, it was St. Louis where I had come from. I went to high school in St. Louis. Okay. Uh, and that's why I ended up in Missouri. I ended up playing tennis uh, at a university in Missouri. Most of the kids there were from farms, really small farm towns. And that was something I had never been exposed to, you know, towns with a couple hundred people, Right. where agriculture was the base economic driver mm -hmm. or a small town where there was like one big employer where they, a manufacturer that just happened to be there that had a plant and everybody worked there. And that was their experience. And so I think, you know, that having that kind of, again, dichotomy of experience uh, was eye opening for me too. And again, I think that's one of the benefits of even going to a large university. You know, I just, for me, uh, in my thesis, that I still maintain today is that, you know, the small university allows you to have a little broader experience and the, the kind of the larger the university, the smaller your, your sphere. Mm, um, yeah. I, that, that may be, you know, counterintuitive, but I, I suspect that that's the case. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find 
quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you. That work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, it would make a lot of logical sense to me for sure. So, okay. So coming out of school, Brian, how long did it take you to really go on that entrepreneurial path? Was it immediate as soon as you graduated or did you work somewhere for a while and then kind of slowly transition? Tell me about that process for you. Yeah, I had two jobs. So I had, uh, interestingly enough, so I, I was the student union manager in my senior year of college. And it was a great job because you got to basically, you know, make sure the student union was taken care of after hours, set up for church and stuff like that in some of the meeting spaces. And the rest of the time I got to work on resumes and sending them out. So I bet you I sent thousands of resumes to potential employers. And I ended up finding an, an opportunity for, for a, a division of ABC that was later acquired by Disney. But the guy that I ended up interviewing with came up to the university on a minority recruiting trip. And I ended up basically, it, it's a really sad statement, but in this rural Missouri school, there, and this remember goes back 20 plus years ago, there was not a significant amount of minorities um, at the university, that's since changed, and it's it's uh, I I think it's got it's very successful uh, today because it's got a really good diverse population. But but I ended up interviewing with this guy because he had a bunch of open slots, and so I pursued him for a year, and I wore him down, and I did proposals and all this other stuff as as in my senior year, and I ended up getting hired by this company, uh, and it was in the the media business. I was the youngest executive they'd ever hired. Uh, and I had put together PowerPoints and all this stuff about my sales ability and, and my ability to communicate. And, and I just made a good business case for myself and why this guy should hire me and plied him with so much evidence that it, it was sort of hard to, to not give me a shot. And so I got a base salary of $16,000 and, uh, and a commission plan. I got a, a phone book and uh, a report called a green bar report, which is all the customers that had run, you know, in my territory, uh, had, had invested with the company in my territory, you know, for the last, you know, whatever, two, three years. And away I went. And so that was my first job. And I think within a year, I had started as an entrepreneur, 
uh, started an idea for a company where we could uh, provide services, uh, new services to the customers. And they didn't like that. The, the company did not see that that was a big opportunity. I think they wish they had that now. But at the time, they had a very large customer base, but they provided very few services to those customers. And I saw that as a big market opportunity. Uh, they, they didn't see the same thing. So that sort of got you know, pushed on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then later, probably about six months later, I, I had been so successful uh, from a sales perspective that I, uh, I had too many orders. And so their infrastructure to handle order taking um, would not accommodate the volume of sales that I made. So I actually wrote <laughs> nice. my first software program. I know it's kind of funny to think about now. But it, and it was, it's not a high volume business, but I was just, I just like to work and I like yeah. people. Yeah. And uh, I ended up building a great uh, portfolio, great Rolodex. We used to call it back in the analog days, a Rolodex yeah, of customers. Right, right. I mean, everybody calls it that now, but dude, nobody yeah, knows but, what right, yeah, exactly. is. Exactly. Right? Yeah, you buy no. five cards on a spinny thing on your right. desk. I mean, man, <laughs> oh man, that, that just doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but I built up this massive Rolodex. I had so many orders. I ended up having to write a software program. And the company then uh, said, hey, wow, this is pretty neat. Why don't you work on it some more? And we're going to adopt it as, as maybe one of our technologies. And uh, that's where we started on the road. But I, dude, I was not an enterprise software developer and I'm not anywhere close today. And I would embarrass myself compared to the developers that I have the honor to work with now at Torch. But that was my real first foray into technology and understanding the value of, of hmm. automated decisions and, and automated workflow, believe it or not. And, and so anyway, I, I did that and I was sort of a frustrated you know, entrepreneur as a, as a guy working for a big company, you know, a small, small fish in a, in a very large company. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. My manager then moved to another uh, company. He actually uh, dragged me with him. The funny story there, and this is really where I became, uh, decided to go off on my own. After about a year at that second job, um, I ended up doing a project for NASCAR and my boss's bosses, which were you know a bunch of New York guys that flew down to Miami for three days a week and, and were managing this company. And I had a territory where I had a bunch of people reporting to me and I managed about five states and, and did this. Well, I did this side project with NASCAR and it was phenomenally successful, but the company did not agree. And I was actually reprimanded for it. Hmm. And that moment. That's know, a big the, no-no the, to an entrepreneur. That's oh, for damn man. sure. They, they could have had me for life. I could yeah, have been right. like one of those cogs in the machine. So funny, just, man. Yep. It, giving so you the opportunity. Happened? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's the, you know, as the manager, that's the lesson, yeah. right? Don't, right. don't try and constrain, like yes. really understand the value of the talent you have and try and figure out how to support them. That, that's not always possible, right? But, sure. But I ended up getting reprimanded by these guys. They told me I couldn't do the work anymore. They said, thanks for the money because it was phenomenally successful. It was very profitable. But uh, it, was, it was not aligned with the core business that they had. They didn't see the adjacent value. Right, right. Um, and so I was actually uh, you know, emotionally affected. I was disappointed uh, deeply. Um, yeah, right. and, and it was one of those things with that pleasure pain principle. And they inflicted pain uh, mm-hmm. by reprimanding me. And I, I still remember to this day sitting in this guy's office and it was, you know, the lights were sort of off, but there was a, a big loft building. So it, it was a very bright office, but you had natural light and kind of this musty brick old building and, and just getting reprimanded in there. And the pain that they inflicted is what motivated me to, to leave. And so mm-hmm. I went to the customer, NASCAR, and said, hey, look, I, I figured this thing out. 
these guys don't want to do it anymore. Can I do it for you? Instead of doing it for them, I'll do it for you. I'll, I'll, I'll come work for you guys. And they said, yeah, that sounds great. We'd love it. But they couldn't, they couldn't pay. Um, you know, at the time, especially they were hiring fans and they were paying pennies on the dollar because they had really a, a almost a free, yeah, like a force. volunteer base. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so for me, it was like, all right, let me try this. Why don't you become my first customer? And these guys don't want to do the deal and I'll start a company and we'll go do it together. And the guy said, yes, this guy named Jeff Berger, who I, to, to this day is one of the greatest, uh, and I owe him a debt of gratitude because he got me started and I set up a company and I used credit card debt and I bought a computer and I bought a phone system. So I looked fancy and all the stuff and, and lo and behold, I'm, I'm now a business owner. Didn't have any employees for the first six or eight months, but that was the, that was, that's how my journey started was getting reprimanded. And yeah. it gets real fun because three years later I'd had so much success that I actually acquired that company. Um, but that's a whole other, that's oh, a whole man. other story. Vindication right there, man. Yeah. That's so funny. It sounds like we have so many similar points in our, in our, in our past with landscaping first off, but then going directly into sales, doing really well, hitting a ceiling, having some people try to constrain you. So you just end up leaving and doing something different and then doing much better with that new thing than the other things ever went. It's very, very similar to, to my background and my story. So, um, I know one of these days, man, we just got to grab a beer and sit down and uh, have some have some lunch or something but um for, sure. for the sake of this particular conversation let's let's move things along and, and talk a little bit about tell me about what torch.ai.ai does uh, right now and and who you best serve yeah it's really interesting i mean the most people don't even really truly comprehend what artificial intelligence the notion of deep learning or machine learning is uh but just to put it really simply uh you know we bring the idea of of evolving automation uh, to systems of record. So if you think about, you know, the job, maybe that pick anybody in your audience, probably they've got a, they've got a system like Salesforce, a CRM system, or they've got SAP or Oracle and uh, an accounting package or something like that. Those would be called systems of record where uh, they've got a repository of data and they're trying to do something, a big task uh, that's, a, that's really critical to the operation of the company. And what we've discovered is a way to bring uh, artificial intelligence and all the benefits of that at scale to companies like that. So hmm. we really help very large companies with very difficult challenges. And the difficult challenges come from massive amounts of, of very messy, disparate data hmm. uh, and critical, a critical decision where literally millions of dollars uh, are at stake or uh, at, at its most extreme lives are at stake. Some of the missions that, that we're involved with with the Department of Defense. So whether that's force protection for national security uh, or the intelligence community with some of the, the work that we do there uh, or, you know, fraud uh, prevention for some of the commercial entities or supply chain, uh, what we call supply chain interrogation or basically a secure supply chain capability. Those are areas that we work on because the real fundamental problem is there's so much data and the way the economy uh, and and uh, the connectedness of everything that we do today uh, has evolved, it becomes very difficult to make what we call a trusted decision. And so what we try to do is bring lots and lots of, of data to bear, um, a lot of veracity about that data. How can I trust the data, trust the data source, trust the system that it's on, and ultimately make sure that I've got all of the information um, you know, a, a fully aware of the situation before we make a critical decision, whether that's working with tax returns for eight companies like H&R Block 
if it's Microsoft working with software developers trying to figure out um, you know, how to evolve or, or, or solve problems with code in a cloud environment, uh, or with the government, the, you know, one of the public uh, things that we work on there is security clearances for the federal government. Our technology is an integral part of the transformation for about 95% of the U.S. government and, wow. and uh, some, of the, some of the credentialing that happens there. So we, we really, and it's hilarious, to, to think of for me, what we do is very advanced, uh, very advanced form of deep learning. Uh, and we've got frameworks that enable some really profound things. But when I reflect on my career, it's very similar to the same approach that I had with NASCAR, you know, really considering how to use data in an interesting way to help, you know, make a better decision. It, it, the approach is very similar. So my career has really been you know, really aligned uh, almost from day one on trying to figure out how to use information and operationalize that information for decision making. Uh, and so it's, it, that's, that's sort of my life's purpose, I suppose. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I, we, we definitely just set up another one of these conversations just because there's so many other questions that I have reeling around in my head for you. Um, and I want the audience to, 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 uh, to hear it too, but uh, we are running out of time on this particular chat. So I, I do want to ask you this last question before we close out. This is the Build Your Network podcast. It's the one question that I've asked every guest that's ever come on the show. So I'm curious to hear what you have to say about it. Brian, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? Uh, I think it's definitely who you know versus what you know. Um, I, I would add a third criteria that I think is important is a bias for action. I think, I think having knowledge um, only goes so far. And certainly knowing a lot of people is not enough either. I mean, I, I know people, like I, I can think of someone right now, that has a, a, a massive network, but they really, uh, they don't bring a lot of value to that network. And so they struggle, um, you know, where I, and I contrast that with people with very large networks that bring a lot of value to their relationships. And those people are the most successful. But again, I, I think if, if, if you're forcing me to vote, I think having a very robust, large network of, of high quality people that you surround yourself with uh, is invaluable, M much more valuable than, than having uh, you know, knowledge of a particular subject. Just, just another thing we agree on then, Brian, <laughs> just another thing we agree it's on. It's a tough question though. Because yeah, it you is. Can't, yeah. I mean, you can't you know. be incompetent, right? You can't be, you can't be somebody that just gets opportunities through connections and then can never take advantage of them. No, you have to bring value yeah. to people. At sure. the end of the yeah, day, if exactly. you're not able to bring value in some form, that could just be gumption, but often it's, sure. it's some wisdom that you might be able to impart. Uh, you know, and, and I would call that some knowledge. But man, it's a good question. But again, if you're forcing me to pick, I think I would I would definitely err on the side of I can think of my network and some of the incredible people that I have around me that support me, uh, and it's it's uh, it's amazing. So I think those you know those people are definitely big big drivers. Well, love it, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, again, we do need to set up another another one of these so we can dive a little bit deeper into some of the things that we talked about today. But I appreciate you. Appreciate your time. And uh, like I said, I'm sure we'll uh, be, be chatting soon sometime in the near future. Thanks for coming on the show, Brian. Well, that's it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group, dozens of video lessons on networking, monthly calls, there's accountability crews, and more, all for the low investment of just $99 a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. 
Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. See you next time. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.